questions. I love questions. In fact, I tend to think that you can't really figure stuff out until you know how to ask the right questions about it. It's just kind of the way I think, and I guess I've been that way for as long as I can remember, and I am told that I was that way before I could even remember. My mother probably put up with lots of questions from me. But questions, do you ask questions? And then, of course, asking isn't enough, then do you answer questions? Are there some questions you're afraid to ask? Now, sometimes people find themselves in that position because other people tell them, oh, you shouldn't ask that question. Well, I'm not sure I've found a question that I would say you shouldn't ask. Now, now there are questions that are unanswerable and they're nonsense. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. Don't be a nonsense question asker. Cry it out loud. Everybody knows better than that, don't they? Uh, maybe not, but questions. Have you been intimidated because people said don't ask that question, but you always wondered about it? There's a few nagging things that I wonder about. Not too many. And I've asked a few people that I thought should have known the answer, and they looked at me funny like they hadn't even thought to ask the question. So my question remains unanswered. But anyway, questions. Questions. Are you afraid to ask questions? Well, today we're going to ask a question that people might think we shouldn't ask. But we're fearless here on Faith Is because we want to develop confidence in God. And we understand that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. It's demonstrated that we can trust Him in the Scriptures, and we want to be that kind of people. And I'm Pastor Rick Stevens. I'm the pastor of Diplomat Wesleyan Church in Cape Coral, Florida. We are a church just like many across the country. We don't think of ourselves as anything special. We're just regular people trying to be faithful to God. We do hold the Bible in great esteem. We don't want to devalue the Bible. We think that leads into all kinds of trouble and error and unfaithfulness. So we want to stay true to the Bible, and we want to ask and answer questions. And today, the question I want us to think about, if you have the courage, do you? Remember, the Bible says, that we shouldn't be afraid. So if we have the courage, we can ask some important questions and we can come to some helpful answers. But the question I want to ask and then answer today and help you think about answering, and actually I want us to think out loud about it because I want to think out loud about a lot of things related to that. And I hope you'll think along with me. I think that's the best way for us to to strengthen our understanding of God and to strengthen our confidence in God. But here's the question. You ready? Why should we honor God? Now, people say, what? well, that's self-evident because he's God. Well, okay, but what about him being God means we should honor him? And, well, is there a reason that we should honor God? Are there reasons? Well, you may discover more than one today as we talk about it, but I want you to think about it. Why should we honor God? Because if we should, then we ought to have some good reasons for doing that. And and I don't think our reasons should be as, how should I say, politely or bluntly, let's say it a little bit of both. Our reasons should not be as 
simplistic and shallow is we don't want to go to hell. Now, I don't want you to go there either. I don't want anyone to go there. I get that. But the reason for honoring God should be more than what's in it for us. Or is it really honoring God? Is it just a transactional reaction to keep us away from a hot place we don't want to visit? So let's think about this idea of why should we honor God? What about God makes it worthy, makes him worthy of honor? Why should we worship God? Why should we follow God? Why should we trust him? And I want us to take a look at that through the lens of Genesis. Now, there's a lot we can learn from the opening chapters of Genesis. I have often thought, not as often said, that Genesis contains a lot of material that can help us understand who we are, who God is, the problem of the world, and it points to a solution. But we want to look at it specifically through this idea of why should we honor God? Why, indeed, should we honor God? Now, the creation story is fairly familiar. Uh, most of us have heard that at least the, part, the first part of it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We've heard that. We get that. And I do not want to just assume that. I want to make sure that we all understand that, yes, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, at the same time, I know there's a lot of conversation among Christians these days about how God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I don't want to talk about that today. That's, that would be way for another time. In fact, I don't necessarily find that helpful. I, I don't object to it. I'm fascinated by a lot of it. I like to hear the arguments on both sides of, and, and maybe more than one side about how God created. That's fine. We can, we can think about that. We should wrestle with that. We should come to whatever good conclusions we can come to, or at least tentative conclusions. Some things we can't know everything because we only know what God reveals to us. So I don't want to get into the how of creation, maybe just a tiny touch at the beginning, but not at all what people generally think about. I want us to think about God and then people, because creation tells us a lot about God, and helps us answer the question, why should we honor God? And it also tells us a lot about ourselves and how we fit into this relationship between God and us. And, and I think that's helpful. I think that's more helpful and more applicable to what we need to pay attention to than the whole question of how God created. Although if you're very interested in that and you just get real excited about that, God bless you, keep doing it. Just keep working it, keep bringing up your ideas and your thoughts and researching it. That's all good. We do that with all kinds of things related to God, so I would not want to discourage that at all. But I don't want to look at that today. I don't want to think about that. I want to think about why should we honor God? Now, I also want to do something that I really, in my mind, have resisted, okay? Not because I don't think it's helpful, but because I just don't want to, um, I, I just don't want to make anybody think I'm talking down to them. And so I'm awfully reluctant to spend a lot of time just reading the scriptures for us, because I know you can read. 
But there's a long passage at the beginning of Genesis, starting with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that talks about creation. And I just think that we should spend some time hearing that together. And after all, I shouldn't be reluctant to read a longer portion from the Bible. Why is that? You shouldn't be reluctant. Well, I understand that people think they're being talked down to when somebody reads to them. I, I get that. But it's also true, and everybody's going to say amen to this, it's also true that what God has to say is way more important than anything that I have to say. And so that's the other reason that we need to spend some time looking at the Bible. That's why we look to the Bible for our answers. That's why we look to the Bible for advice and wisdom. And that's why we look to the Bible to know how to live, because God is speaking to us. And so considering that God's words are far more important than mine, I want to invite you to read along or listen along, however it works for you, from Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 1. Now I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible. I've used that some. Recently I've been using the New Revised Standard Version. Some people might say, well, why do you choose one over the other? Well, I chose this one because there's a point of clarification at the beginning of Genesis. And there's a point of discussion among academics, and it's way beyond what we ever want to talk about here, because it gets into the technicalities of the original language. And you can read about it, and you can understand what they're talking about, and you can understand why there's debate and discussion. Well, I'm happy, for, again, for that debate and discussion. It doesn't worry me. Uh, God is not diminished by that debate and discussion. In fact, God is not diminished by any of our debates and discussion. The hope is that our debates and discussions will elevate God. And so I hope those kinds of things do too, even the technicalities of the language. But some English translations don't say this as straightforwardly as I believe is appropriate. And I believe that not as an expert in the languages, but as someone who's looked at the arguments, processed them, and I'm convinced based upon the weight of the scriptures and of the opening words of Genesis, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We should never forget that, never back down from that. Always remember that is true. So here we go. Let's read all of that. And let's take a look at the creation story from Genesis in the Christian Standard Bible, beginning with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning, one day. Then God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters, separating water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. And so it was, God called the expanse sky, evening came, and then morning, the second day. Then God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place. Let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and he, 
and the gathering of the water he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Evening came, and then morning, the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. They will serve as signs for seasons and for days and years. They will be lights in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light, to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night, as well as the stars. God placed them in the expanse of the sky to provide light on the earth to rule the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening came and then morning, the fourth day. Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So, God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water, according to their kinds. He also created every winged creature according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came, and then morning, the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done.
God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Now that's reading Genesis chapter 1 into chapter 2. We stopped at verse 3 of chapter 2. So that gives you the scope of the creation story and all of the things that are that are going on here. And we want to then begin to look at this and ask ourselves some important questions and learn some things about God. And that will hopefully, and I believe it will, lead us to a good answer for why we should honor God. So let's notice a few things before we get too far into it. And the first thing I want to point out is that this English translation, when it talks about God creating people, uses the word man when it's speaking of both men and women. Some people get very nervous about these days, and and I don't think we should. I think we need to understand the way language is used and the way the translators use it. So when it said God created man, and then it goes on to say he created them male and female, what it means is that God created people, people in his image and likeness, and it's not one or the other, it's both and. And we, we make terrible mistakes when we try to read stuff into that. So let's not read into that, okay? So first of all, we already said God created. God created. No, no equivocation, no, well, but what about, no, nothing, God created. So let's take a look at what he created, because it's quite interesting how God created. The first thing he created was time. If you look at verses 3 through 5, you will notice that the first creation was time. I'm, I'm talking about chapter 1 now, verses 3 through 5. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day and the darkness night. So that's the first indication that time was created. And just so you don't miss it, I don't know if we'll touch on it later and some of the other things, we might, but just so you don't miss it, notice that God existed before all this creation, and he is outside of the limitations of time. He's outside of the limitations of all creation. But he first created time. That's very interesting, and I think very significant. The second thing God created was space. I don't mean outer space like we think of space. I mean space as in, look at verses 6 through 10. And he separated the sky from the waters of the earth. Sky and earth are now separated. You can see under there that he refers to the expanse which he called sky. And so now we have time, day and night, and we have space. A differentiation between sky and earth. It's very interesting also to me that I was reading what somebody wrote about this. And they pointed out that this whole creation story starts with time and ends with time. That kind of got my attention because I'm aware of time, but I hadn't really thought about this creation idea. But, but it's true. God created time at the beginning, day and night, and then he ends with time when he sets apart Sabbath. He works at creation for six days, and then he set apart the seventh day. 
On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. So think about that. God created time first, and then he set time apart as holy on the Sabbath day. And he rested, and he gives us that gift of one day out of seven for rest, for recovering from the work of the week. And he makes it holy. You know, we have such a fast-paced world we live in. Things just keep happening, 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 that a lot of people have trouble slowing down and stopping on Sunday, which we understand as the day of rest because of resurrection, and that's a whole different story, but stay with me. So God gave us one in seven. We consider Sunday our first day of the week and God's day. We used to call it the Lord's day. I don't hear us saying that very much anymore. It's the Lord's day that he gave to us as a gift for Sabbath rest. Sadly, we don't really take advantage of that gift, do we? We get up and we do our thing and we go to church. Hopefully you are going to church. Thanks. I'm glad you are. And then we begin to either get ready for the week ahead or catch up from the week behind. Well, I didn't get this done, so I got to do it now. I didn't get that done. I better do it now. Or I've got a busy week ahead. I better do some of these things in advance. And I want to suggest to us that that there's no accident that God created time first and then the creation story ends with God setting time apart for rest. And I want to suggest to us that we have failed to take advantage of God's gift to us. You see, the whole point is not to use Sunday as a day to get ready for or to catch up from. The whole point is to order our lives so that we get our necessary chores done Monday through Saturday. And I know for some of us, it's a real challenge, especially for pastors, because of our responsibilities on Sunday. So I, I know where I'm, what I'm talking about here. I know the difficulty. But isn't it time for us to recognize that the first thing God created was time, and then he ends the creation story with time, and he gives us that day for rest. And we should order our lives so that we can rest on that day. I wonder, can't prove this, I wonder how much less stress people would have if they ordered their lives so that Sabbath, so that Sunday was sacred. I wonder how much better health people would be in if they ordered their lives so that they had Sunday as a proper day to leave everything, to let it go, and to rest. I can't prove any of that. I just wonder at a lot of the things that, that affect us in our busy, busy, hectic life. I wonder if they would be improved quite a lot if we actually took God's gift of Sunday, accepted it, and used it as it was intended. Why couldn't we do that? I think we could. I hope you will. I recognize the challenge. I'm not naive in that way. I also recognize that if God gave that gift to us, we ought to seriously consider how we manage it. 
Okay, so now, heading into this whole creation story, we learn a lot about God. And, and it, partly we learn this because of how this creation story compares to other ancient creation stories, and I'm not going to get into those, but if you're really interested in that sort of thing, you could check into to it, because they come out of the same time period, but this one is very distinct. And there are some things that we can learn about God from the creation story, so let's do that. First thing is that God is one. So we learn about God's oneness. Now this is where those other creation stories kind of help us sort that out. And other stories of ancient gods, you may have heard about those, Greek gods and all that, they involve a whole bunch of deities, a whole bunch of gods. And those gods, they fight with each other and all the rest of the stuff, and you may be familiar with that. But here, in the beginning, God. And there was only God. In the beginning, God. God is one. God was there, and he wasn't at all in competition with other gods. There was no other God. He is the one God. We sometimes forget that. God is the one God. There's no other deities challenging him. He just sets about the business of creation and does it effortlessly. Second thing we should notice about God, this tells us something about people as well, is that there's a separation between God and people. In case you don't realize it, God is God and you are not. God is God and I'm not God. God is God. There's a difference. There's a separation between God and people. It's a line that is never crossed in the scriptures. It's not blurred. It's not erased. As much as people try to talk about how God is in everything and how people can become a God, God is clearly separate from us. And that line is never crossed. So be careful about ideas and philosophies that want to blur those things together. So God is one, no competing gods. God is separate from us. We are separate from God. And that line is never crossed. Now, we also get a real interesting glimpse into the nature of God. When in chapter 1, God says, let us make man, or let us make people. And he uses the plural there, us. Well, that teaches us that God is multiple in nature. Now, you might say, well, you just said God is one, and now you're saying God is multiple in nature. Well, I don't pretend that we can wrap our minds around everything that is God, okay? We understand what we understand because God reveals it to us. And we need to be aware of that, humbly grateful for what he shows us, stretching to understand better, not afraid to ask questions, but realizing at some point we may not be able to figure it all out because we don't know what God knows and we don't know what we don't know. But God is multiple in nature, and when he says, let us make people, perhaps he's direct, direct, uh, addressing his Holy Spirit because in verse 2 it talks about the Holy Spirit. So maybe that's part of it. It certainly is not and this may come as a shock to some people, and, and I'm pretty sure people have tried to make Genesis uh, say this in some way or another, but, but it's clearly not when he says, let us make people. 
It's not referring to the concept of Trinity, because that is not revealed yet. It's hinted at in a couple of chapters early in Genesis, but it's not revealed until the New Testament with the coming of Jesus. So let's not get confused about that. Let's just understand that that likely what God is doing here is he's referring to his plural of fullness. And that phrase is a little bit different. We don't use that much. But think of it this way, that God is complete in himself. He's, he's fully himself, and, and he is God. And, and how do you get your head around that? Well, you just try. God is just God. And to think of him as that complete is a little hard because we realize that we are not so complete. And that limits our ability sometimes to grasp that God is, by nature, full, and he is himself alone, adequate to himself alone. God is multiple in nature, and yes, that can refer to the Holy Spirit here. Yes, it will one day be made more clear with the revelation of of the Trinity idea in the New Testament, but at this point, that's not what it points to. But it sure leads us into thinking more deeply and carefully about God, and it sure challenges us to think about God. And it also begins to help us answer the question, why should we honor God? Because if in the beginning there was nothing but God, and there was nothing but God, and if he is one, and if he's separated from people, then he is by nature holy, and we should pay attention. So why should we honor God? Well, I think you're getting the idea. And we're going to come back to that some more. We're also going to talk after the break about something that some of you will think is political, but it's not. So fasten your spiritual seatbelts, get ready for that. I'm Pastor Rick, and we'll be right back. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on all the fear-mongering, but deep down you try and minimize viral exposure and your risk of getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a pulvinone iodine nasal solution. 
I don't need to tell you just how powerful a nasal cleansing formula with xylitol, povidone iodine, and vitamin D3 for immune support could be. In fact, my attorney told me not to tell you. Google it and find out for yourself. Now, get yourself a bottle of American-made Cofix RX nasal solution. Let's get out and live again. CofixRx.com. That's C-O-F-I-X-R-X.com. Use coupon code OUTLOUD and get 20% off. America Out Loud beats to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, you're troubled, confused, glad, and thankful. Well, we know you because we are you. AmericaOutloud.com. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Welcome back. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and you're listening to Faith Is where we think out loud on America Out Loud about important things, and we try to encourage each other and stretch each other in God's direction because we understand that faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God, and we want to trust Him. And today we've been wading into somewhat deep waters. We're talking about the creation of the heavens and the earth and about in the beginning God created. And we started by asking why should we honor God? And a few people were kind of terrified that we would even ask that. And it's no accusation against God. It's no uh, uh, diminishing of God to ask that question. It's simply, how do we explain to ourselves and to others why should we honor God? And we try to wrestle with some of the reasons for that. And that's what we want to do right now. We want to continue that. However, I think we need a little interruption because there's something that happened a couple of weeks ago I've been thinking about, and I think about some of these things differently than other people, and well, I, I want to mention it to all of you because I think it's time for us in the, in the Christian community and in this country of ours to think about things carefully and seriously. And I, I know some of you are going to think, well, he's getting awfully political here. You know, I hope you don't think that I'm trying to help us be good citizens and faithful followers of Jesus. And to do that, we have to navigate all of the things that take place in public life, in our private lives, in our families, with our friends. And this particular issue happens to be an issue that took place in public life and riveted the attention of the country for years. It has cost us, the taxpayers, millions of dollars, and it was all done based on a lie. Now, that's not a surprise to many of us. We've followed this for a while. I've followed it more closely than some, probably. And I've known for a long time that this whole Russian collusion narrative was a lie. It was fabricated. It was made up in an attempt to win a political battle. It resulted in all kinds of things taking place. I wouldn't begin to recount them. But here's the thing that should get our attention as followers of Jesus. It was a lie from the beginning, and everyone that was involved in it knew it was a lie, and they kept propagating the lie. They never came clean with the truth. But now it's been exposed, and we know it was a lie. Now, why is that significant? It's because God takes lying seriously. 
and it's time for us to take it seriously too. Now, I expect most of us listening here take lying seriously, but I'm not sure that we take it seriously in every area of life. And God doesn't distinguish from one area to another. Some people will say, well, in politics, they all lie. Well, maybe they do. I hope not. Uh, I, I want to be want to be optimistic that they don't all lie. I'm not going to defend any political figure at all. Not my point here. But my point is to say to us that we as followers of Jesus, no matter who's doing the lying, we must not tolerate lies. And we need to make sure that we understand what a lie is. A lie is a deliberate deception. Something is a lie just because you have a different perspective on something and you describe it differently. Something is a lie because you're deliberately deceiving people. And we need to recognize it, acknowledge what it is, and say out loud to everybody, we're over the lying, tell us the truth. And here's what got my attention a few years ago. A friend of mine pointed this out to me. I guess I had read this many times, but it hadn't struck me the way it did when he pointed it out. But Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. What that tells all of us who take the Bible seriously is that God takes seriously when someone lies. He considers lying a serious offense. And in this context, as we look at the whole environment around us, and we're going to be making election decisions again in just a short time, we need to take that to heart. And we as followers of Jesus need to say to each other and to everyone, we are done with the lying. Quit lying to us. Tell us the truth. Don't lie. We will not tolerate it because God does not tolerate it, and we are going to stand up for the truth. I've said for a while, some of you may have heard me here say, God's great gift to the world is through the church, and the church's great gift to the world is the truth. And so we need to stand for the truth and put aside all lying and liars. Enough of that. Let's get back to Genesis because we're really trying to answer the question, why honor God? And we've been talking about some of the issues that we see pop up out of Genesis, and we want to take those a little further. So we've been talking about what do we learn about God from these things. We talked about God's oneness and that there's a separation between God and people that's never crossed. People and God are distinct. We talked about God as multiple in nature, pointing to his completeness or plural of fullness, as one theologian called it. We also recognize that God is moral and holy. God is other. He's set apart from us. He's holy, and he's also moral in that he understands there is right and there is wrong. In the garden, and this goes a little bit beyond where we were reading, in the garden, Adam and Eve faced the choice between what to eat and what not to eat, and God said, you can eat all this, but you can't eat this one. So you may eat and you may not eat. There's a right source of food and there is a wrong source of food. And God created people with the ability to choose and he set up the world that would operate on that which is right and that which is wrong. So God, by doing that, demonstrates to us that he is moral and holy. We also know that God is sovereign and majestic. 
This whole creation story points to God's sovereignty and majesty. And one of the really fascinating things, I'm not quite sure why this fascinates me so much, but it does. It's the effortlessness of creation. I mean, creation just comes into being because God wants it to be. I mean, there's no effort on God's part at all. Now, some of the other stories, and I've read some of the other creation stories from, from this time period in history, from the other other groups of people that had a creation story. But here, God, it's just effortless for God. He just, he just uh, says, let's have it, and they have it. It reminds me, our Wednesday morning men's Bible study talked about this idea from Matthew chapter 8. We've been going through Matthew, and we read a passage in Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus drove out evil spirits with a word. You know, how many times do we see good and evil portrayed in our world as a real battle of almost equals? Or sometimes they set it up to be equals. Forget that nonsense. There is no equal to God. He, he in the person of Jesus, drove out evil spirits with a word. He created the whole world effortlessly. Let's not forget that. And let's remind ourselves and that idea of sovereignty and majesty that there were no opponents to creation. Nobody tried to stop God. Nobody could try to stop God. As I think I mentioned earlier, some of these other ancient creation stories, they include clashes with monsters. There are opponents that try to harm the creation and, and interfere with the unfolding of creation as those stories tell it. No, there was nothing like that for God because God is God. Why should we honor God? Well, there are some reasons right there, right? Well, let's think about one of these other things that we should take a break before we get into what about man, what about people, what about men and women, is that this whole idea that after God did this creating, we get back to this idea that he rested. Now, God did not rest because he was tired. Okay, we get tired. God did not. He did not rest to renew his strength because he had to combat a bunch of turbulent forces out there. That's what came out of these other ancient stories, not out of Genesis. No, rest follows creation because that's what God does. In the same way that there was silence before and after creation, God does not speak after setting Sabbath aside. So this rest is very hallowed by God. He sanctifies the Sabbath, if you read that story carefully. And it reminds us that rest is sacred. We live in a world that thinks, well, if you're resting too much, something's wrong with you. You're, dare I say it, lazy. Proper rest is not lazy. Lazy is lazy. All right? But if you work hard, then you need to set aside time to rest. Time to enjoy the Sabbath that God has given us. All right, so now in all of this creation stuff, can we learn some things about people? Well, we can. Will that help us figure out why we should honor God? I think it will. So the first thing that pops to my mind, maybe to yours, it's on other lists as well, is that God created people in his image and likeness. Now, some people spend a lot of time talking about what does it mean, image and likeness. And I'm not sure we have a settled answer to that. God said it that way to reflect that there's something about people 
that bears his image and likeness. There's something about God in the creation of people. We can't put our finger on exactly what that means. There are people that suggest one thing and another. But one of the things that we should remember is that God did give people something that reflected his image and likeness. Now, I know some people get a little nervous about that because they look around in a crowd and they see all these people and they go, oh my goodness, this is what God looks like? Well, we can joke about that, and I have before. And I'm, and I'm not saying that. It's, it's deeper than just physical appearance, um, much deeper than that. I mean, I joke about that whole idea of physical appearance reflecting God, and, and I have this whole theology of baldness. You see, God is perfect, and this perfect God created a few perfect heads, and the rest he covered with hair. Well, so if God is perfect, and he created some heads with hair and some without, then the heads he covered with hair were not perfect, but the heads that he didn't were perfect, then therefore God is bald, right? Well, no, that's just silly. Of course it is. But I just want us to make sure we don't miss the idea that God created us in in his image and likeness. And there's something about male and female together that reflect the image of God. Now, one of the things that deeply concerns me, and probably does you too, should, is this blurring in our day of male and female. And I'm convinced this whole idea is an attack on the image of God. Because God was clear in Genesis that he created people in his image, male and female. Not one better than the other, both in his image and both pleased him. We should not understand this as a hierarchy or anything else. This is God's reflection of himself in the creation of male and female. And anything that blurs the idea of male and female is an attack on the image of God. And we need to think seriously about that. We tend to just go, ew, we don't like that, or that's icky, or that's hideous, or that's obscene, or you fill in the blank. It's much more than that. I don't necessarily tell you not to think of it that way, but I want to remind us that this is an attack on the image of God because God is reflected in maleness and femaleness. And we should value those the way God does. Now, there's another thing that goes on in our world, and that's this idea of that God created us to subdue and have dominion. It's clear in the scriptures, God created people to subdue the earth and have dominion over the earth. Those are the words that many standard translations use. Now, it doesn't mean that we have license to do whatever we want to with God's creation. And where we have unfaithfully and deliberately and purposefully used God's creation in a way that does not honor God, where we have messed it up and known we have, then that's, that's wrong. We've got to fix that. But we need to understand this idea of subdue and dominion really has to do with exercising care of and responsibility for creation. So that's why we can't exploit it in the wrong sense of that term. We have to use it appropriately. The other thing we need to understand, because there's this pushback on this environmental stuff these days, we don't worship creation. We do not worship creation. God is separate from his creation. In the same way we talked about God is separate from people, people are separate from God, God is separate from creation, we do not worship creation. It reflects the glory of God, granted. It is not God. 
God is God, creation is not. Too many times, modern environmentalism is, is religious in nature. It's reminiscent of nature worship because of the way people revere it. We don't do that. Creation is a gift of God to all living things, and we need to understand that. Creation is important and valuable, but God is separate from creation in the same way God is separate from people. The other thing that I find very interesting, and people people struggle with this sometimes, I don't think we should struggle with it, but we should acknowledge it, that because God is a God of right and wrong, God limits the freedom of people. So there are things that God says are right and things that God says are wrong. Now the most, or maybe I should say the first best example of that is in the garden, and we touched on this earlier, where God said you can eat this and you can't eat that. Well, that's a limitation. Now, it's curious that that we get so caught up in this idea of limitations. And, and think about that. From the beginning, there in the garden, God gave them one thou shalt not. In Genesis, we read one thing. And, and God said, all the rest of this is yours to eat. Just turn your back on this one and leave it alone. Well, we know the rest of that story. They didn't. But really... That's a limit, but it's a minor limit. And God does not limit us in love for him and love for our neighbors. And so we look at it the wrong way when we think about God limiting freedom. He limits freedom so we can have the best life possible. He limits freedom in the case of Adam and Eve so they wouldn't suffer the penalty of eating the forbidden fruit. He limits freedom so that we won't get caught up in stuff that will mess up us up. God limits freedom and gives us boundaries for our own good. And we as his created beings need to understand that. Some people don't like it. Some people don't want to do that. But nonetheless, that is what God has done and we need to respect it. So, have you thought through this? Again, we're thinking out loud about these things and and I hope you're thinking about them, about why we should honor God. And I hope you've seen a number of things here that, that merit our honoring God. But um, I'm, I want us to make sure we circle back to this in a couple of important ways. Because we've talked about some important ways that God is creator and how he's different from us. And because in the beginning, that's the beginning of everything, God existed So keep that in mind, that God existed before anything that we know, anything that we could know, God existed before that. Now, ask me to explain that better. Well, I don't know how to do that. It's really hard for us because we're so oriented to time. But God existed before there was a concept called time. And so God is God and we are not. He is the creator. And so probably based upon that, is enough for us to say, here's why we should honor God, because God created everything. And he's the one that made life possible. God is creator. Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, all things are from him and we exist for him. So there's reason, because God is creator, if you want to sum it up, there's a reason why we should honor God. Second thing is this, which 
I don't know if we think about this very often, but we probably should think about it more than we do. But it's also true that God is sustainer. We understand that God created, but we sometimes forget that God sustains. We think that we're on our own and we sustain our own lives. That's not really accurate. God's people understood that they depended upon God's favor to send rain so the crops would grow so they could eat and survive. They understood that God protected them from their enemies. God sustained their lives. We, in our time, have gotten to the point where we think it's all about what we do and how we manage ourselves and keep ourselves alive and do all this and that and the other thing, when in reality, God is sustaining us. And in that same verse from 1 Corinthians, if you want to think about this through a New Testament lens, it goes on to say, And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, all things are through him, and we exist through him. So it points to the reality that God sustains us. We exist through Jesus, through God as sustainer. So why should we honor God? Well, God created everything, and so we should honor him as creator. God sustains everything, so we should honor him as the one who sustains our lives and recognize that that without God sustaining us, we couldn't, wouldn't survive. And and we, we don't like to think that we're that dependent upon God, do we? But we are. God has consistently, throughout the history of his people, delivered his people from evil, helped them when they were faithful, provided for them when they needed it, from food to protection from enemies, to help overcoming enemies when they were attacked, to escape from slavery. God has sustained his people. And he wants to do it today. And he does it for his people because we are faithful, because we have absolute confidence in his trustworthiness and we do what he says. See, he sustains us because we honor him. Why honor God? Well, I guess so God will sustain us. How would life be if God didn't? We can scarcely imagine. In short, I think the, the, what I would encourage us to think about about answering the question, why should we honor God, is because God is the source of life. As creator, God gave all things life. He breathed life into people. He created the heavens and the earth. He created the animals. He created the fish. He created the living things on land. He created vegetation. All of these things, God gave life. And he created life without the intent that people should die. But he warned Adam and Eve that if you eat of the forbidden fruit, that you will surely die. Now, we can talk about what that means. We know Adam and Eve didn't drop over physically dead, as we understand it. But everything changed at that point because by going outside God's prohibitions, they separated themselves from the source of life because they sinned. And in a very real sense, we understand death as separation from the source of life. That's why I can say that God, as creator, never intended for people to die. That wasn't part of the plan. That only happened because people did what they weren't supposed to do. They violated God's prohibition. And as a result, death entered the human condition, separating us from the source of life. 
And ultimately, physically, we all die. No human difficulty is difficult for God. And we need to honor him as creator and sustainer, as the source of life. And I hope you will. Why should we honor God? Because God is God and we are not. And we will explore that in some more ways next week when we gather here again. And I hope you'll join us. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens for Faith Is.